All right, you got your camera? You got a bag? You ready to go? Jump on in. We're heading down the road. My name's April, and I'm an award-winning landscape photographer and tour guide. I've been leading small group photo tours for over 20 years. For photographers, non-photographers, and anyone else that just likes to go for a great trip. So welcome to my podcast, Eyes for the Road. Thanks for joining me. This is April, your host for Eyes for the Road. Thank you if this is your first time listening to my podcast, all things travel, photography, and places to see and go. So tonight, let's talk about Alaska. I have an Alaska trip coming up yet this fall, the first week in September. You can go to my website at yourphototravelguide.com or fallphototrips.com and get the exact dates or drop a comment and I can personally get back to you. But the reason I like to go the first week in September is for the fall colors. Again, I've kind of gotten into getting hooked on photographing fall colors. Alaska. Alaska has fall colors. So just to give you a little bit of background on why and how I got started with Alaska, I'm going to just briefly tell you a quick story. You know, I am always looking for places to seek out the fall colors. I don't know why, but watching the change of colors in the fall really gets me. Well, I came across a quick little blurb in an article about the Northern Lights. And being a photographer, wow, to see the Northern Lights really intrigued me. But I really didn't want to go to Iceland. I didn't really want to stand out in sub-zero weather with 20 parkas on, laying in a snowbank for hours with my camera tilted at the sky doing that. that. That's what I envisioned. But then I came across something that told me you know what, you can see the fall colors and the northern lights in the sky about September, maybe late August, but September. Wow, what a great opportunity. So I immediately looked at booking a flight just to go see the northern lights in Alaska, specifically Fairbanks, which gets an opportunity to see the northern lights over 250 nights out of the year. Out of all of the locations in the world, it has actually the highest percentage of viewability of the Northern Lights. The Northern Lights happens all over all the time, but if it's too much light during the summer, you're not going to be able to see them. If you've got a lot of cloud cover or stormy weather, again, you're not going to be able to see them. You're near a city, you get light pollution. So that's what started my first trip to Alaska. And when I called up my dad and said, hey, I want to go to Alaska and see the Northern Lights. He's like, hey, yes, that's great. Let's go. But why would you just go to Fairbanks when Denali National Park is, you know, about 30 miles just south of there? So then hence became the first trip. So Alaska's huge. It is larger than California. Montana, and Texas combined. So you can't really, that's incomprehensible. You're you're not going to be able to cover that all in one week. And that's mostly, honestly, what a lot of us get. One week of vacation here and there to go pursue our passions. So I'm going to focus in this episode on what my trip covers. 
My trip, if you join me for a fall photo trip to Alaska, covers Anchorage, Fairbanks, and down to Seward. So it's literally the slice, kind of, I call it the spine of Alaska. And you get a nice mix of sea, land, and skies. Just a great mix of photography opportunities. And I'm all about mixing it up. I'm all about getting a variety of opportunities. You could go just to Alaska just to see the Northern Lights because you don't want to put all of your all your money on one night. Let's put it that way. Because if you go out one night, the clouds come in, you honestly might miss your opportunity of seeing the Northern Lights. So it's always a good idea to plan in two or three nights, maybe a few more, to see the Northern Lights. So let's start with where this trip starts. I've been getting some questions from some of my some people in Florida. I've been getting some questions from photographers in California interested in joining the trip. So the trip lasts for one week. We fly into Anchorage, which is probably the most affordable and has the most direct flights from all over the United States. Alaska Air is an, a large airline that flies at least like from the West Coast, from Los Angeles, there's multiple flights to Anchorage every day. So from Anchorage, we stay overnight. I, If I don't personally meet you at the airport, I always make sure to leave clear instructions and have a car waiting for you to take you to where we're staying. And I found a really nice bed and breakfast in Anchorage within walking distance of restaurants with a nice deck to sit outside within walking distance of downtown if you do get in early and have a little time to go do some shopping maybe pick up some clothes or just view some art get some history any of that so that's where we stay the first night and wake up to a nice wonderful homemade breakfast there's usually an assortment of yogurt cereals um, even scrambled eggs and sausage and and all of that, all that good stuff. I always like to start the day with a good meal. And then we'll start driving. Now, one of the main scenic byways in Alaska is the Seward Highway. It's about, if you drove it straight through, I believe it's about oh, 125 miles Seward to Anchorage. So you could probably drive that in a couple hours. But believe me, you want to spend a good few hours driving it. You're going to go past uh, right along the water, literally kind of like Highway 1. You go past an inlet, which um, has an area, I kind of like to refer to it, there's probably a technical term, but basically it's the mud flats. Somebody on one of my last trips kept saying, what, what, mud flats? What are you talking about? They didn't understand. They thought I was talking about those flaps that are on the back of a semi truck. And I'm like, no, no. This area is, is, it sees an extreme change in the tides. So when the tide is out, it's literally like just mud, just thick mud, probably not even safe to walk through. You'd probably get, you know, stuck in it. Um, and then when the tide rolls in, it's a low kind of shallow area, a lot of um, dolphins, whales, different wildlife comes in there and it's just gorgeous. So we usually stop along there and see if we can see any of the migrating whales, 
anything, you know, birds up on the cliffs on the left-hand side when you're heading south. Sometimes you see mountain goats and all the fall colors that start to appear. Following the road down, you end up going through forests. There are still some glaciers that you can get up close to. If you had more time, you may want to stop and hike these. But on my photo trip, we usually take a nice leisurely drive and stop for as many photographs as time allows and as the scenery permits. Sometimes it might be raining. This is the first week of September, so it is starting to get a little bit cooler. You might get some nice clouds. You might have a little afternoon shower. It's the change of seasons. Once we arrive in Seward, I have lodging that is right on the water. It's got an incredible porch, like a patio, like a balcony right over the harbor. You can see the boats, you can see sea otters, you can hear the, you can see bald eagles sometimes flying in. It's just beautiful. I mean, I could just sit on that patio. I can envision it right now with a hot cup of coffee and just watch the birds, listen to the sea otters, watch them, you know, swimming around. It's, it's incredible. So once we check in, we usually go for a nice walk, do some, a little bit of sightseeing and get, go stop for a nice dinner. Seward has a really high percentage, to be honest, of great restaurants. They get the freshest seafood. Salmon is popular. In fact, out of Seward, for those that are interested in more fishing type excursions, they do a lot of fishing excursions for things like halibut, things like salmon and other fish. I'm not as, you know, up on quote, all the different types of fish. But at the end of the day, literally right on the docks there in Seward, it's fun to watch them come back with their catch and they hang them up. And, you know, a lot of people do fly into Alaska just for that particular activity, fishing and then ship it back cold and frozen. So then we have a nice evening, take it easy. And then the next morning, we usually want to get up bright and early and spend a full day going out along, out into the waterways and out onto the waterways on a small boat. We're talking maybe 10 to 12 people is what I like. That way you have plenty of opportunity to get your cameras out. The captain is uh, well versed in knowing that my group likes to photograph. So he's looking and, and he does this, this is what he's been doing for years. So he pretty much knows the inlets where the pods of whales tend to gather or up in the trees you can look in the deep green evergreens you'll see the white of the bald eagles and I've seen many many bald eagles so this is a, a day where you want to make sure to bring your long lens they do provide us a small bit of lunch on the boat but we're out the full day again the longer you're out in an environment like that the higher probability that you're going to see some animals. You're going to see some puffins. You're going to see some sea otters, as I mentioned, whales, bald eagles, many types of, we've even seen some of the mountain goats along the edges. And we go out to one of the beautiful glaciers where you see the blue of the ice. You can see the glacier ice calving or cracking off, water coming down. It's just an incredible day. So that is a full day. And then once we pull back into Seward at night, we're off to get something to eat and enjoy a nice meal. From there, we'll be 
heading up towards back on the road the following day and heading up towards Denali National Park. Denali is a gem in our national park system. It is one of the largest, probably the largest national park in the park system. It's bisected by one road and one road only. So if you were really into hiking or backcountry activities, it may be a place you would want to plan to come back to or go to on your own. I'll admit I'm a little skittish. Um, It's basically a wild animal park. The park is there, no fences, no boundaries. And it's to protect the natural animals, the wildlife that is Alaska. We're talking grizzly bears. We're talking uh, moose. We're talking bighorn sheep. I mean, all kinds of animals. But to be honest, it's those bears. Being out there with those bears is a little intimidating to me. So I prefer to stick to the road and prefer to take some of the options that the park offers. The park does offer about four different options for what they call a shuttle bus. This is what we tend to use. You get on the shuttle bus in the morning, you take your camera. The bus driver, again, is keen to see, and I'm, I'm surprised. Their eyes are good. They'll spot grizzlies. They'll spot herds of, of elk. They'll spot foxes. It's amazing miles away from the bus and the bus then will stop. We quietly lower our bus windows and carefully lift our cameras to our eyes and, you know, get our photos or just watch, you know, just watch. The first time I went into Denali with my father, this I think is what was sold me. I mean, it's one of the surprises. I did not expect to see I just didn't expect to see what I saw. And pretty soon the bus stops and a huge grizzly really was just in the road. He lumbered right past the bus. He kind of like sniffed at the bus. I almost felt like I was sitting like a like fish in a tuna can. I mean, that grizzly, those grizzlies could. If they chose to, that bus would have been nothing. But um, these experiences you can't find in other places. And this is an experience of a lifetime So if you've never been to Alaska, I really highly recommend this excursion with me. Like I said, I give you a great range of experiences from the waters to the land, and then we'll move on to the sky. So I will conclude some notes about each of these places in my show notes. If you are interested, I did find on Denali's webpage that we would be that you have an opportunity as a professional photographer to apply to get a permit in which you and another person can drive your personal car past the 15 mile point. What I mean by that, and I should have explained that earlier, is the way Denali's set up is again, they're trying to protect the wildlife and protect, by protecting that natural environment, you kind of need to limit the number of visitors and you need to limit the impact humans have on that environment. So what they've done is they have one road. Again, you're welcome to backcountry and hike. They do have camping sites, but to limit the number of cars. So you can only drive your personal car into the park to the 15 mile marker is what they call it. It's literally just up to the river. 
they have a parking lot and a turnaround spot. And at that point, you have to turn around. So your best bet to experience the park is to get on one of these motor coaches. Really, it's a it's basically a school bus. Let's be honest. It's a school bus. You get on the school bus for the day and you go into the park. They do have six-hour excursions, but honestly, your best bet, again, is to take one of the longer full-day trips. This increases your probability of seeing the wildlife and seeing just a slice, again, of this immense, immense landscape. You'll go through mountains, you get above the tree line. Uh, The first time I was in the park, it actually started snowing the first part of September, you're getting the colors of the tundra. You're getting the, the greens interspersed with yellows. And just that whole change of season. The animals are on the move. The elk are shedding. You'll see some of them are missing a, a horn. They've gotten into spats with each other. The moose, they actually have a section where if the moose are close to the road, they you have to, you can only you have to stay on the road because it's kind of mating season a little bit for the moose. Um, there's a term for it, um, but honestly, it's pretty exciting to see these moose. They're huge. I had no idea how large they were, and last year I had a really good opportunity. We stood along the road with other photographers and kept watching the moose you know, kind of sparring with each other, kind of walking. There were male moose with the big racks of horns and just crazy odd-looking animals. Uh, But hence, back to if you are a professional photographer, there is a permit process available on their website, and you can get a permit to take your own car further into the park. So see the website for those additional details. But on my trip, you'll get a good mix. You'll get an opportunity to see what we can see from the bus. All of the drivers are very, like I said, I feel like they have eagle eyes. I've been amazed at what they stop the bus for. And we all are like, whoa, what, you know, what's out there? And, And then they pointed out a little black speck way out there. So another place where you would want to bring your long lens, 300, 400, maybe rent a lens for the trip and have it shipped to our first destination, that's a possibility as well. So after Denali, then we head up to Fairbanks, which, as I mentioned, was my original destination way back the first time I went to Alaska and kind of, I was, I have to say, I, Alaska wasn't high on my list of must-see priorities, but when I went and saw the northern lights and the fall colors, I was hooked. And as you can see, I continue to offer it as a destination. So northern lights, you've got all kinds of colors. Now your naked eye, the first night that you see the lights and actually experience it, may appear as a lot of greens dancing across the sky. And I do mean dancing. The activity, it's electromagnetic activity. It's moving, it's changing, it's, you know, cutting through the sky and ribboning across. Sometimes it's uh, splashing out like fireworks almost. And then the color, as your eye gets more trained, you'll see purples and reds and blues and, and shades of greens. But the camera, the camera technology we have available to us today And this is a place where, honestly, your cell phone is not going to be able to capture this, where you would want to either rent a camera and buy a memory card and then, you know, try it out for the evening. 
I do go with an experienced uh, Northern Lights Aurora guide who's made his lifetime passion photographing the Northern Lights and studying the where it's going to happen. You know, he stays in touch with NOAA. Uh, he can basically get us to that hole in the sky outside of Fairbanks to see the Northern Lights if there's an opportunity to see it. And I have to say, I've been very, very fortunate that each year I have gone, I've been able to experience this incredible phenomena. And the bonus place part for me is it wasn't sub-zero. I did wear some layers. You will possibly need some gloves, a hat, and some extra layers, but you won't be freezing cold and you won't be standing in snowbanks up to your knees or elbows. So this is what I feel a really good time to go and experience this. There's a location that I really enjoy, which because it hasn't frozen yet, it's a lake. It's a pretty big pond lake. And when the northern lights appear in the sky above, they're reflected in that pond below. So you get that nice double reflection with a band of pine trees spiking up some beautiful compositions. So really incredible opportunity to see something you've ne possibly never seen and learn how to capture it with your camera. And with the right lenses and the right gear, you can get some incredible once in a lifetime photos and portraits of yourself. We do capture portraits when we're out and the lights are happening as well. So again, these are some long days. Our days do get flip-flopped when we go up to Fairbanks, when uh, we usually get leave to go out to start our evening, probably about 8.30, 9 o'clock in the evening. So you do want to take a nice nap before we head out. And then from, say, 9 o'clock on, when it's dark enough, we may be out chasing the northern lights until 2, 3 however late in the morning until they go to what they call breakup. Essentially, the activity kind of stops and just kind of filters away like fairy dust. It just, it's, this is incredible an experience. One of my recent trips, I've got to share this little anecdote because I kind of find it, what I think a lot of us might feel unless we've seen some photographs or not, or are not familiar with the Northern Lights. He was a photographer, and I know he won't mind me sharing this story, but he kept asking me, he's like, really, we're going we're gonna to go to bed in the afternoon, and, and then what are we going to do all night? Tell me again, what are we going to do all night? What are we going to see? And I said, try to explain the northern lights, how the, you know, the colors dance and everything happens, but it's unpredictable. It's nature. And we have to be prepared. So rest your eyes, get ready. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Wasn't quite sure about the whole thing. He just, he was a daytime photographer. He likes landscapes, loves landscapes. But something at night, I, I don't know. He just wasn't sure, wasn't sure. So we get outside, we get picked up, we go out. And we, again, we go out to where a uh, location where we're going to be able to view the lights, whether that's the lake whether that's a river with a nice leading line, whether that's up on a hilltop. We want to be outside of Fairbanks so we don't have the noise, the light noise, the light pollution to, you know, kind of dither down our view, so to speak, of this phenomena. He gets his camera set up and all of a sudden just squeals. I mean, 
We look around and, and sure enough, it's starting to happen. The greens are shooting across the sky to the left, a shot of bright blue, kind of pink, purple color. And all of a sudden I could see his face. I mean, if he could jump up and down, but I think he was just so glued to his camera, he didn't move. He was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I, I mean, he's like, wow, this is what you're talking about. Wow, oh my goodness. And he was a you sometimes get a little cold, I'll admit, standing still and just watching. Your toes start to maybe get a little tad cold, but we usually get some hot chocolate. But he did not swear, he did not move from that tripod until until breakup, until it stopped, maybe about three in the morning. And he just, and then he grabbed my arm and he was shaking me and almost dancing. He's like, when do we get it? Can we do that again? Are we going back out? And I reassured him that, yes, yes, we'll go back out tomorrow. So it is. It's a quite an exciting trip. Um, I think you'll be really amazed if you haven't been to Alaska, just the size and the immensity of the landscapes. It's really hard to even capture in any of the photos that I've tried to share on my website or on Flickr or on my uh, personal website as well. So please give us a chance. And uh, if you have some questions or comments, drop those in the comments box. So a couple other things I want to address. If you're thinking about the trip, you do want to think about what type of clothing to take on this trip. You would want to bring layers. So if you live in California or Texas or Florida, we usually don't keep heavy coats around. We usually don't keep heavy socks. But I do advise the temperatures can range anywhere from say 70 during the day um, down to nighttime lows right at freezing. As I did say one year, there was snow falling in Denali when we were on the bus. So it can get a bit chilly, especially when you're standing outside at night. So you do wanna get some good socks. I always recommend there's um, a couple companies that kind of have some thicker hiking socks. A good pair of hiking boots is, is advised. We don't do a lot of hiking, but again, the ankle support when you're on uneven ground, something that's waterproofed in case we do get a rainy day here or there, or we're out on the boat and experience some damp weather. Uh, there's something called a base layer. It's important to get a base layer, usually something made out of uh, lightweight wool. If you go, if you use some of the retailers like REI, North Face, Cuddle Duds, just to name a few brands. They have these tissue weight underlying undergarments and they look just like a t-shirt. You can get a crew neck, you can get a v-neck. Usually get, they come in your basic colors, black, white, beige, and they're a layering piece. You definitely want that layering piece and then layer a second layer and possibly even a third layer depending on if you tend to run hot or cold. Um, a good jacket is advisable. They have some really good um, materials now with Thinsulate. I'll have some links on my webpage on the show notes as to different brands that are advisable. Some real packable styles are available through a company called Uniglow, which a lot of, uh, they're online and it's just U-N-I-G-L-O. They've got some real affordable, thin, lightweight, but very warm jackets that you can pack and then pull on to wear. You'll definitely want something for your neck and your head 
hat. Uh, get some fingerless gloves if you do want to be photographing. It's nice to have the fingerless gloves that have the little caps that you can pull back over your fingers to keep your fingers warm when you're not using them. Um, those are some things. Maybe pick up some of those little, um, they call them hand warmers or foot warmers. They're kind of little packets and you shake them and stick them in your boots and then they'll heat up kind of like a temporary, those are good to throw in your suitcase so that when your feet start to get chilly, you can drop those in your feet and continue photographing. Cause there's nothing like being somewhere and then you start to, your body starts to get cold. Your creativity starts to just shut down. Your eyes stop seeing cause you're thinking about, yikes, my feet are cold and now my hands are cold, things like that. So this trip is for, Photographers and non-photographers, as I've mentioned, if you're not big on boats, I have had a couple participants not go out on the boat out of Seward, and Seward does offer a lot of great activities for you that are within walking distance of where we're staying. There's a really nice aquarium where they rescue sea animals and birds, and you can see them there. They also have you know, nice little selection of, of shops with native things, um, wonderful restaurants. And you definitely can't go wrong just by sitting on our balcony with a great cup of coffee and some food and enjoying the view. I mean, the view there is really amazing and highly recommended. So let me jot back over my notes to see if I pretty much covered the questions I get about the trip. So again, the trip is a week long. We fly into Anchorage. You would have a possibility of flying out of Fairbanks if you didn't want to make the loop. I like making the loop. Anchorage in and Anchorage out. Uh, from Fairbanks, if you didn't fly out, you'd be missing the Glen Richardson Highway, which again is a very scenic drive. You see part of the pipeline that carries all of the gas, natural gas from Alaska down to the lower 48. You see mountains, just incredible vistas and wide open spaces. It's really amazing to see such beauty and such a lack of people, to be honest. But um, that would be what we would you would miss if you chose to fly out of Fairbanks and not continue the last leg of the trip with us. The prices on my website if you needed to rent photography gear for the uh, Northern Lights portion of the trip, you would want to let me know that so we could secure a camera for you or lenses. The person I used to go out to do the Northern Lights portion of the trip does have a wonderful selection of gear to rent from. And that is actually the easiest because then we're not talking about shipping. Once he picks us up, you use it for the two nights that we're out and he takes it back. So you're not having to worry about packing it back up, flying, you know, transporting extra expensive camera gear. I would also recommend a tripod for the uh, night photography. And again, that can be rented through our guide. We wouldn't need to have it the rest of the trip. So clothes, what to wear, what we're gonna see. You'll enjoy great food. I always include lots of local restaurants. I, I love seafood, but if you don't like seafood, there's always steak options. There's always vegetarian options. A lot of the restaurants in Alaska are very much farm to table. They do 
grow their own vegetables. Um, a, a restaurant that I do like near Denali, which actually closes right after Labor Day. So some of these places, the area right around Denali really closes up right after Labor Day. So we get in there right before a lot of things close up for the season. They literally, you walk right past the little garden patch of vegetables and herbs and things that they use in their cooking there. Incredible food, I must say. The food really surprised me and is a wonderful part of the trip. I think you need to experience not only with your eyes, but with your senses, with your taste, with your touch, all of it to really have an incredible experience. So thank you for joining me. Again, this is April with Eyes for the Road. I would really love some feedback. So if you're on iTunes or whatever listener you're listening, uh, you're listening on, please leave me some comments or feedback. If you have questions, I would definitely please drop me some of those. You can visit my website again is fallphototrips.com. And my direct email address is april at aprilart.com. Thank you so much and hope you'll join me for a trip to Alaska. Thanks.